Hello, and welcome to Shut Off That Noise. I'm Craig Riddock. Uh, that was the sound of Bob Segarini's phone ringing, and it was Greg Godovitz calling, actually, but we turned off the tape recorder at that point. So, hey, this week's episode, I went out to the the abode of one Bob Segarini, my good old friend. At one time, he produced an album that I wrote and performed on, an album called This Is Reuben Cherry. Uh, a band that had some success that I was in maybe about 10 years ago. Bob Segarini is older than sand, but he's younger at heart than most of us. Knowing him personally, I always understood that inside he is perpetually a young doo-wop crooner raised on radio in the 40s and 50s. In fact, the radio and pop music are two of Bob's greatest passions. He had a long stint as a radio jock on Toronto's Q107 FM as the Iceman. He blazed a trail through the music industry from the 50s to the present, making stops along the way like his years in San Francisco, hanging out with the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. He's recorded with Rita Coolidge. His writing partners have included the great Harry Nilsson. With his bands, The Family Tree, The Whackers, The Segarini Band, The Anger Brothers, and The Cats and Dogs, Bob has penned dozens of finely crafted songs in multiple genres. Throughout the show, you'll be hearing some of my favorite Segarini songs the first of which Bob will introduce for you. It's the first record he ever made. So come along with me and Bob, and we'll start at the start. And I'm not really sure where we're going to end up, but without further ado, here he is, Bob Segarini. Uh, I had a crush on this girl named Susan Berry, who was three or four years older than me, taught me how to French kiss. She, oh, I'll, I'll find a picture. She Actually, I think. Anyway, I found the... $25 for two sides of a 45, right? And I talked Eddie Lucchese into coming and backing me and taught him these two songs. And this was the one I thought, and clearly I wrote this for Dion and the Belmonts. Here you have to see this. <laughs> What is this? She's so tough, she's so fine. I wish and hope that she was mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Susan. Susan Berry. She's so tough. She's so fine. I wish and the hope that she was mine. Golden girl. Anyway, and the other side of this is equally disturbing. Da 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 da
When uh, I was going to grade school, and I'd stay over there for the same reason my parents needed a time out, because like now, I never shut up. I was like, Mom, Dad, can I have the car? You're, you're eight, shut up. Um, my grandmother, after, my, after Bobo passed away, I would stay with my grandmother. And at night, at 9 o'clock, when I had to go to bed, because I had to get up early to go to school, we, would have, we had a ritual, and that was two pieces of cinnamon toast, raisin, raisin toast, a cup of tea, and a couple of lucky strikes. I was nine. And sometimes when Grandma was in a good mood and she knew that I was, had a test or something, she put a couple of luckies in my lunchbox for lunch, you know. Um, I had trouble going to sleep. Uh, I still do. There's a different reason for it now. It started when I was 12. So my grandfather, because he just got fed up with me, grabbed this Emerson table radio. It was sea green with a handle on it, and a, that horrible yellow gold dial light, dim, just enough to keep you awake, light, you know. And he put it next to my crib slash bed with a fence on it and turned it on to either... Lucky Logger Dance Time or Bergy Bandstand, two nationally syndicated radio shows out of New York. They were on both from 9 to 12, so whatever they happen to be listening to during a day is the station. So that's why I remember both of them. One of them's uh, theme song was uh, Nick, uh, Music, 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 Teresa Brewer. Put another nickel in. in the, and the other one's closing theme was uh, Pied Pipers. And I have all this stuff. Uh, dream when you're feeling low, dream when with the Pied Pipers, and, which included um, a wonderful female singer whose name escapes me right now, who went on to a career on her own, just happened. Um, and I went to bed every night. So consequently, as I got older, radio was never off. And it gave me the Samerson. And I was born in 45, so I got the tail end of Superman, Lights Out, uh, Kane Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, Jack Benny Show, uh, Fred uh, McMurray, or Fred McMurray, Fred Allen. Uh, so I got all that and all this amazing music. And my first love was Glenn Miller. And my uncle Bidwell, who was at the time a secretary treasurer of the local AFFM, uh, who eventually bought me my first guitar and my first uh, AFFM card when I was 12, bought me for my birthday a gold LeMay, Glenn Miller collection, five 33 and a third LPs in sleeves with the glossy pictures and story of the Glenn Miller, which I wore out. I've, I've since owned three. I still have one. Um, you could literally see through these things. It was all of Glenn Miller's recordings plus an entire LP of live shows from 1940, 1940, 1941, or 41, 42. Um, so that was, that's what hooked me on music, was listening to that, the radio. But where I grew up, when I started to, oh, I can turn the dial of this thing. There's other stations. What? You know? So 
I came across uh, Porter Wagner and Buck Owens and Hank Williams and uh, started to watch them on TV when I was 11 or 12 years old. They both had black and white shows out of Bakersfield, California. Dolly Parton was the ingenue on uh, Porter Wagner's TV show. And everybody's wearing nudie suits. So I grew up on this stuff. And then the other radio station in my hometown called KSTN, and where KJOY was the Pat Boone rock station, KSTN played Federal Records, G Records, um, King Records. So I got, at a very early age, to hear Ray Charles, James Brown, uh, uh, all the Kings, Freddie King, Albert King, you know, uh, Little Junior Parker, all the tweet groups. Yeah, I mean, I was, if you listen to my albums, I'm still influenced by all of this stuff. I've written as much country music and R&B music as I have pop music, but I, I need to get a lot of it released and or re-recorded, uh, recorded demos. Because that's really, that's what I grew up on. When I was 12, my cousin took me to a Shower of Stars show in the Civic Auditorium, which was built by Bobo, by my grandfather. And I saw, for $2, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Chuck Berry, uh, the Everly Brothers. I mean, I have the poster from Sacramento the night before, but it's the same show. That's Domino. Uh, so this was my rite of passage. The perception people have of me as a rocker is kind of untrue and unfounded. I, I like playing it because it's fun to play. But I don't really listen to a lot of it because it's three chords and uh, about being 16. So really, you know, that's why I always hated Nirvana. What they did was they, they drop kicked the, all the advances that had been made in the 60s and 70s and 80s, drop kicked it back to the 50s where every tool head out there thought he could be in a band. And so we got grunge, which was basically really dumbed down, I've heard it all before, rock roll, okay? Without the roll, because they played everything too fast, because white people have no sense of rhythm. And it was also very sad. I found it sad, yeah, that you can't, can't you Everybody come Everybody found it sad up to that point. They were like, why are these guys so freaking depressed? And why are they so popular? Because they were 16-year-olds writing to 16-year-olds, same way the rock and roll started. Except the problem was that they didn't build something new. They retrofit something old. And I'm sorry, but uh, like most sequels, I, I still don't understand the success of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all the rest of the stuff that came out of the Seattle scene. What I do understand and respect about it is that it invested kids into music again. So that was good. But what really murdered it was something that rock forgot. That disco, the, uh, the uh, Trump fans' version of rhythm and blues is what disco is. It's, it's dumbed-down R&B. And the reason it's lasted is because you can dance to it. Your body involuntarily moves. It's like sonic exercise equipment. It's very, uh, it's it's very body oriented. If it doesn't, if the bass doesn't, if you don't feel the bass in your chest, 
or if the rhythm doesn't instigate some kind of activity in your loins, then it's not really music, it's product. Because that's what's wrong with radio. There isn't any local radio. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, the thing that happened with Elvis, again, everything starts locally. Nothing goes well. Now, the uh, product, manufactured product for formats, uh, isn't music. And it's unleashed everywhere all at once. It doesn't earn its bones. It doesn't have a reason to be there. 
other than people who are very susceptible to being told that something's popular. The latest case in point, to veer off topic for a second, is uh, Harmony 5, these girls that were put together because of their looks and age and handed Max Martinized music to the television show. I forget which one it was. It might have been a Grammys last year. But they didn't have a record out. Well, the record was out, but nobody... I had never heard of them, and I hear of everything. So that show got their people's attention, and now they're a big hit. I think they're on their third top five record because they were manufactured to be exactly that, and, you know, people know what they're doing. Never look down your nose at the quality of the shit that's on the radio. Oh, it's indeed. the content that needs to be uh, purged. Now, speaking of manufactured music, now... It's not music. It's not music. Well, okay, I want to make a comparison between two things. You've got your Max Martin, you've got your... I, I like uh, the martinizing of music. Ma I like Most <laughs> people still don't get that. You, that's going to get in the Oxford Dictionary, but buddy. here's the thing that you have to remember, that people... This is, this is why I hate people. I hate boy bands. Really? Have you heard you know, uh, uh, Naturally 7? Probably not. Did you ever listen to Invisible Man by 98 Degrees? Did you ever hear... Who was the, the first great boy group, honestly? Who was the, the who first was great the, boy the great group boy was band. the Mills Brothers. Uh, best boy band ever from the 40s were the four freshmen. Without them, there would be no Beach Boys. What about Frankie but Lyman? people don't give it... Frankie Lyman was 13 when he wrote... Uh, uh, Juvenile Delinquent or... No, the first one. Or Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Why Do Fools Fall in Love? He entered a contest at KPX Radio, KPIX Radio in New York and won. He was 13. He was 14 when he won it. Got a record deal. They did that. Went to number one everywhere on earth. And uh, what's his name from G Records gave them, I think, a Cadillac and dry cleaning. But whatever. I mean, Frankie died in jail of a broken heart and heroin. But, but the point is, is that these were teenagers, oddly enough, the name of his group, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, which included his brother, were young people making music for young people that somehow untouched, unchanged by the old people who profited from it, made, in, invented teen, invented teenage, you know. Before that, they were bobby soxers because nobody knew what to do with... Their idea was to take Frank Sinatra away from the teenagers who didn't count because there was no baby boom yet. These people were about to, to create the teenage society. So if there was one 17-year-old kid left on earth, we would, we would be pitched dressing like him and acting like him and listening to his music because old people who have no creative juice look to young people to steal whatever it is they happen to be doing. And the great thing about where we are right now is that this is the graying of the world. Baby boom has come to uh, maturity, but radio and entertainment haven't figured this out yet. They're just on the cusp of going, wait a minute, maybe we should have played that last Allman Brothers record. Maybe we shouldn't play uh, Ariana typographic diva boy girl with the giant twerking ass on our faces, singing about hoes and money and how much better she is than us, maybe we should listen to the music that will engage an older person who has somehow escaped the clutches of this nonsense. It, right now, radio is basically, if this would have happened in the late 50s, early 60s, everything would sound like flying purple people eater 
and uh, and uh, Ringo, or what was that other? What's the one that Lauren Michael or Lauren Michaels? Lauren Green did. Lauren Green. Yeah. To, From Ponderosa. To, yeah. He had a huge record, like Ringo. They're talking uh, deck of cards. I mean, we would be. It, that would have won, and we'd be not, the world would be full of novelty records, which is what we're listening to. And it, we're listening to nursery rhymes that are that cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars to produce, because seventy-five people worked towards making this thing perfect merchandise. Love is 
Okay, well, that concludes the first part of my interviews with Bob Segarini. So you'll just have to come back next week to hear some more. There was about six hours of conversation that we logged, and uh, a lot of it's some serious gold. Well, I'll be bringing you some more words of wisdom from Bob and some more rare tracks next week. So until then, I'm Craig Riddock, and you've been listening to Shut Off That Noise.